0: Had a big head, rounded ears, six feet in the body maybe, with a very, very long tail, very muscular build. As it was walking, it was, it was still looking at me, and that's when I really panicked.
1: It looked at me and thought, oh, oh, there's a human there, I'm not scared. You say, well, I've seen this big cat, and some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size.
0: I heard this growl behind me. Nothing like a dog's growl. And just like anything else in life, you're sat on your own there. I don't care who you are, how brave you are. Something like that will put the shivers up your spine.
1: As she was walking before the cub came out, she flicked this tail. She literally flicked it in the air. And I simply could not believe what I was seeing. It was the most extraordinary feeling.
0: It threw its head back, he said, and it made this sort of rant. Uh, but when
2: you actually realise that there are big cats living in Britain, it changes everything. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. Why are unofficial big cats being seen, and could these cats even be naturalising without us knowing? If you've had a big cat encounter in Britain, and would like to discuss it, email me at rick at bigcatconversations.com You can find other episodes on the website bigcatconversations.com I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 7 of Big Cat Conversations. Before we introduce our two different guests from Leicestershire and Rutland, I want to make a couple of announcements first one is just a big thank you to everyone who's listening it's really nice to know we've got a viable audience we think for the start of these podcasts and in particular we want to say a big shout out to listeners from Australia it's really great to know some of you are listening from Australia where we know there are parallel issues in fact we're going to discuss that in an in-depth interview with Simon Townsend from Victoria in episode 10 it should be so look out for that one and on a link in the website under this episode on Big Cat Conversations you can see the trailer for a new film being made in Australia called The Hunt so you can see a three-minute clip of that on our website today we're in Leicestershire and Rutland really in Middle England and neighbouring counties as well. We're going to hear from Nigel Spencer, who's been active on the scene for many years, and compared to him, I really am a Johnny-come-lately. Nigel, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for coming on. And one of the last times I saw you, your dad was finishing his career of interest in big cats, and I gather he died in 2012. But he was the chap who got you all started, didn't he? I gather he had a sighting around 95. Could we start with hearing about that sighting he had and what it led to?
0: Sure. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, we had a bit of a small holding over on the border of Rutland in High Leicestershire, which is, as the name suggests, the hilly part of Leicestershire, an ideal big cat country. And Dad was a lecturer at the time at the University in Textiles, so nothing to do with big cats. But we had this little small holding, and my grandparents came over and said that they'd seen this strange animal in the field. So we went off to look for the livestock to see if there was any livestock in the field, and there wasn't. And we were laughing about it, saying, no, oh, it's probably a calf. But it turned out, well, obviously there were no livestock in the field and then a couple of months later they saw it again and I jokingly said well I wonder if it's this big cat that's being seen because at that point the Rutland Panther or Beast of Rutland was being seen and we wondered whether it might be that Dad poo-pooed the whole thing and said this is absolute rubbish there's no way there's anything like this running around the countryside but they were adamant this animal they saw was actually a cat and it wasn't one of the livestock there weren't any livestock in the field it was winter and they were adamant it was so Dad had a chat with the local police um and he came over the wildlife officer took it quite seriously and they came over and they went off and searched one of the barns and I stood on the hillside above watching with the video in case anything came out they did find some evidence of a big predator had been up on the bales and eating rabbits and various bones and that up there but there was no animal actually at that point and in January 1995 so a couple of months after this dad was walking out of the house to take the dog out about 7 o'clock in the morning and this animal came Charging down the field. It was a very frosty morning, and he thought to start with, it was a horse coming down from the field opposite, and the gate was wide open. So he was concerned this animal was going to come out onto the road. So he was just about to walk over to shut the gate, and this big cat came charging through the gateway at him not even aware he was there it had his head was down and it was just lolloping along and he stood his ground because it was going to basically collide with him and shouted lifted his arms and the animal just swerved in front of him and went off down the road wow he said he'd smelt it, seen it, heard it, and he got no evidence it existed, and that was it. It lollopped off into the gloom. The lights, obviously, had got it in the, in the house, and, and then it went off down the road, and you got a very, very strong smell of ammonia from it, and the dog he had was quite a big dog. She just stood there. He said she almost looked like she'd encountered it before, when he'd been on walks, that she'd stop and put a nose in the air, and so she just basically just stood there. She didn't do anything. She didn't growl, didn't snarl, and this animal had gone.
2: And what stage? in that encounter did he realise what it truly was?
0: Well I think the fact that he had this huge tail that sort of went down on an S-shape and then came across almost brushed his face as it went off down the road and the strong smell of ammonia which I will come on to later, but we when we subsequently got involved with Raiter Manor, obviously it's one of the first things you notice when you're involved with the, the leopards there that you can smell that really strong. And obviously the way the animal looked, Dad was brought up in the countryside and spent all his life living in the countryside. When we moved to Knowsington in 1970, he got involved with the local farmers as well, despite being a lecturer at the university, nothing to do with farming. And he got heavily involved, so he was really into countryside ways. So there wasn't very much that he didn't know about. And then
2: he started being a recorder of reports and mapping them and visiting people is that right
0: yeah well it was a bit of a strange one because like it or not there seems to be this sense of well an airline pilot saw it so UFOs type syndrome an airline pilot saw it whereas Joe Bloggs the the binman saw a UFO and everybody just laughed so it's that sort of scenario Radio 4 came over and did an interview about it because they picked up on all these sightings and it became a lot more credible and obviously the police were involved as well again and Neil Hughes, who was the uh, wildlife inspector for Leicestershire and Rutland Police decided to come over and have a chat with us and said, we're getting loads of these sightings, it's, would you fancy investigating them? Because Dad was obviously showing an interest because after poo-pooing the whole thing and saying it was absolutely impossible, he'd suddenly become witness to it in, to himself and was determined then to try and prove that they did exist so it sort of snowballed from there and we were getting people ringing up with reports and as I say we started to work with the police and get their reports and start to go and investigate them and feed back in. Obviously if there was any danger or any threat to the public then the police had to make that call.
2: You saw a different coloured one a few years later yourself. I encountered a puma
0: and it, again going back to the early days we started getting heavily involved and, and one of the earliest sightings we had was this sheep was actually quite a large lamb uh, in November so you can imagine by November they're quite big, 25 odd kilo was actually decapitated at the side of a fence and we actually had blood along the second rail of the fence so you can see the animal's been attacked sideways pinned against the fence. The carcass was actually carried across five-foot fence and a hawthorn hedge onto the other side and eaten in the field where the livestock weren't. So the sheep were all on one side. This animal was eaten on the other side. And that was an incredible investigation because we found on the fleece the classic marks of, of a big cat where it had actually gone into the side. It had fractured ribs on the animal when it had swiped it with its paw and we could see the wool it had actually looped through the skin on the inside. So the claws had penetrated from the outside. Outside come in and they push the wall through and you could see the claw and you were talking a spread of about a man's hands fingers yeah that was the spread of the claws so again you got pretty conclusive evidence that some very large predator had been involved in that it wasn't obviously wasn't a fox or anything like that or a badger and we took that over to Drayton Manazoo and John Foden straight away said that's a leopard that's Mm. done that that was really started to push our interest and I got heavily involved with Essex big cats I was spending a lot of time I'm working away all around the country as you know I travel down to your patch quite a lot I would spend a lot of time in Essex I was dealing with John Hancock lot who was picking up all the sightings right down to Clacton even all that area and investigating so they were getting sightings coming in all the time as well very similar I was driving back in April 2000 April the 1st 2000 and as I was coming out from Braintree to a little village called Sybil Headingham which is in North Essex 9 o'clock at night I sort of came in the 30 mile an hour to go into the village and as i came round the corner there was a mountain line puma in the middle of the road just walking across the road and i stopped with the animal virtually in front of the bonnet and it was above the bonnet line on the monday and it just plodded into the hedge very narrow verge at that point so it literally just went off the road but it was taking up my side of the road so i had a white line i could see the scale of it because of its height on the bonnet I did have a video with me, but by the time I'd stopped to even start thinking about turning it in those days, JVC, BHC videos took a little while to turn on. It was gone. The sad thing is, obviously, if that had happened today with a dash cam, it would have been absolutely fantastic, irrefutable mm. evidence. I mean, I've had a few encounters with wildlife on the road. You get some very, very good pictures from these dash cams now, and there would have been no question because we had everything there. You know, you've got the scale of the road, you got the height of the bonnet. It was pretty obvious what the animal Mm. was and it literally was just walking across my side of the road it just slinked into the hedge it it wasn't even running it was just plodding across and it was right by a forest track on the right hand side subsequently i found that there have been scores of sightings at that location not just puma but black leopard as well uh, crossing at exactly that point so obviously the animals do use that track and come through the woods and then come out
2: but that first of april that wasn't a good date to see I know. a
0: big cat. No, no, I know. But yeah, first of April. But it's one of those dates that, that sits in your mind because the first thing I did, of course, was ring John who lived down in Braintree. And he said, I'll come out. And I said, well, it's gone. And literally on the left-hand side of me within well, a quarter of a mile, you go into the massive ex-military base of Fitchingfield, Field, Wethersfield, sorry, it was being used as Metropolitan Police, paramilitary type uh, training, SAS type commandos, that sort of thing. And they were getting a lot of sightings all along there as well but Mm. um
2: these days, of course, we would see if we could get permission to put a trail camera on either side of the road at a crossing point.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, having seen how many reports there's been, I would have thought a camera just at that location on the trail would have probably been quite good, because these animals are a creature of habit from what we've discovered. You often find that they do use these trails, forest trails, these, you know, disused yeah. railways. And
2: linear whatever. routes, yeah. And
0: they seem to be creatures of habit. So the amount of times that I can look at a location where it's crossed the road and it's, it Crack it did that last year and the year before or a couple of months ago at that point. But just going back to this one as well, the interesting thing was when I rang John, he said he'd taken a report from... A police officer at Saffron and Walden about three days before. And the animal I saw was a very, very golden yellow. Really, really golden. He got the puma white underneath its chin and everything, but it was a really golden yellow, biscuity yellow, you know, yellow colour.
2: Yeah, they do vary, don't they?
0: Yeah, some of them can be quite a dark colour, almost and like gingery. Uh, a really dark fox colour, yeah. And then he rang me up the next night to say it had been seen again, about a mile from where I saw it, in Earl's Cone, one of the next villages, and it, it had walked through the farmyard at half past twelve in the daytime, broad daylight, straight through the farmyard, and the farmer, farmer's wife saw it from the farmhouse, and she described it the same, it said very, very bright, goldeny colour.
2: Yeah, what scale was it as you saw it? What sort of size compared to a dog?
0: size if you imagine a b road its body was taking up most of that side of the b road to the center line so you're talking a good three or four foot of body and then a couple of feet tail on top of that
2: looking at over the years that you and your dad were taking reports and still do what proportions if we assume that the majority of the Cats reported fit black panther, stroke leopard, puma, mountain lion, and lynx. What are the proportions you've had in those years?
0: I'd probably say 60%, probably black leopard. And I say black leopard because a lot of the reports we've had, we've had other factors. So it wasn't just a black cat that looked like a black leopard. We've had all the other bits. So we've had it in light and people close enough to be able to see the rosettes underneath. That's
2: unusual. Yeah, the
0: coat, you know, so you've actually had that. So we've had that. We've had, we have had puma. Definitely. Mountain lions, uh, so there's probably maybe 30%. And then lynx, very, very rare. We have had a couple of lynx, but most of the time it's been either a black leopard or a puma. I mean, a a funny story, we we have another area here who's a hotspot was the Castle Cement Works at Ketton. It became so common there that they even make a joke of it when they have an open day. They have uh, little black cutouts of the cats and they position them all around the quarry for the kids to try and find. But they were getting sightings all the time and the quarry managers, everybody there, seen it. We actually took half of the country there to film. And, of course, they had a field day because they were sat there at the time. They used to have Caterpillar heavy machinery for the quarry. They've moved off to a different mate now, but they had cats. Here we are with big cats, and we've actually got big cats. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
2: great.
0: It was a bit of an eye-opener, I think, because Teddy Francis, I think it was, that was with us, is the uh, producer for at uh, the yeah. time. And I think he was a little bit sceptical. And then, of course, once he met, the quarry manager who was a very level-headed chap was just coming into retirement and he was just so matter-of-fact about it that it was like wow and then when we were driving round, and the security guard stopped us and said what are you doing and Barry Bedford said oh we're doing a documentary about the panther that wanders around here and the guard just looked at him and said oh so you know about it Oh, great. <laughs> and apparently the night before he'd been sat in his vehicle petrified because it had come out the gateway and he didn't dare uh, get out of his vehicle for an hour to go and open the gate so he could carry mm-hmm. on yeah and he never told anybody because he just thought nobody would believe him and barry just said oh of course everybody knows about it he said, everybody's seen yeah. it <laughs> is
2: that is that the location where um you turned up and one of the guys said oh and the lads feed the links but you won't be interested in that will you
0: yeah, so at the back of the workshops, they had the bins and that. Barry said, oh, we get the lynx comes down here because you're not looking for that, are you? You want the uh, panthers?" <laughs> yes. And Tony's like, what? And he, and he went, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, well, it's all a triple SI wood in there. It's massive. You can hide an army. It's all quarried uh, limestone from sort of the 1800s through to the early 1900s, and it's just abandoned and grown over. And you can imagine what it's like. Mm. So absolutely ideal habitat for any animal like a lynx or a, a black leopard. And it's interesting because, again, we've got two species that are obviously interacting in some way because they know that they obviously are aware of each yeah. other and um, because and we found this before you know we found it with the pumas you know the the black leopard would get seen and then we'd have a puma sighting within half a mile the same day
2: yes that happens that happens everywhere it happens in gloucestershire it's like they know the yeah. best places and descend yeah. on them and sort out territories in those places and they
0: must be aware of each
2: other yeah yeah,
0: yeah. One of the things that we did have in the early days, not so much with Leicestershire, because Leicestershire were pretty good, and I think the reason Leicestershire and Rutland were good was because of Neil, who's retired now. But Neil Hughes was a very level-headed wildlife inspector. In fact, he went on when he retired to become one of the only special wildlife officers in in the country. So he carried on his run.
2: We're talking police forces now, yeah.
0: And so whenever there was any sort of incident, they were always very level-headed. I noticed in other areas, they panicked. So as soon as a big cat was seen, you'd have armed response out, they'd have helicopters up. In fact, I can remember an incident at Shrewsbury on the A5 um, in Shropshire, and they somebody had seen it from one of the travel lodges wandering down the side of the A5, and they just locked the whole area down shut the A5. And, and I can remember having a chat with Neil about it, and I said, have you seen what's happened? And he just sort of looked at me and <laughs> went, Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah as if all that commotion will achieve anything can't really yeah
0: <laughs> criticize but you know if we had if we did that every time there was a big cat sighting nobody would be moving yeah, you know? that
2: would give you no chance of finding it or finding any information
0: no because these animals are so elusive mm. they really are and they They can just literally go into a hedge and they're gone. Mm. With drones, you know, a lot of the forces are getting thermal imaging drones. You have got a chance. And I think if you're genuinely trying to get one of these on film, you need a decent budget. But I think if you've got a company that have got enough of a budget, if you've got a load of fast response vehicles with drones and the authority to use them, and possibly hotlines and that. So people do phone in and you get an instant update, then you might stand a chance of getting something up and starting to get some footage. But the frustrating thing is in America, we know what happens because they put a radio tag on the Puma and suddenly they realize they've got a huge issue with humours wandering in and out of towns that nobody ever realised were even there because it totally opens up a new world when you put a radio tag on because they're suddenly realising what they've got. Yes, yeah. Well they're going across five, six lane interstates into Santa Barbara Santa Monica all around in California going into people's gardens at supermarket, night supermarket
2: car parks um, at night
0: car park. Yeah. and that is exactly what we find over yes. here the amount of sightings we've had at McDonald's Yeah, it's an easy lunch people are chucking food out there's lots of rats and rabbits and stuff like that floating around all around the so the amount of mcdonald's restaurants where we've had sightings around the car parks
2: yeah the smell just the meat smell at the back of the premises yeah we've had the same conversation in the previous episode in the chilterns and buckinghamshire of the urban urban fringe leopards and pumas they are generalists they're very resourceful and they will take an easy life if they can get it as well as being adept at hunting and scouting out for deer Over
0: the years, some of the reports that we've had have just been mind-blowing to the point where we've had very senior people in local authority in that where they've actually been trapped in a vehicle with a big cat walking around the car. The car's locked and they're on three nines trying to get
2: help. Well, we've had magistrates report them in Gloucestershire, and you've had oh, yeah. high-ranking yeah. people yeah. in Leicestershire, haven't you, report them?
0: Lots of serving police obviously, but also, of course, zookeepers. Going back to Robin and John Foden, I can remember in the early days when we were involved with them, they had Black Leopard in captivity. They were one day sitting in the office and some lady rang them up and said, one of your cats has escaped. Uh, Robin said, no, don't think so. And she said, yes, it is. It's in my garden, which is about two miles away at Stony Middleton. And Drayton Manor's over in Tamworth there. So it was just at the road. So she was very insistent. He, he asked her to describe it. She did describe a Black Leopard. So anyway, they said, well, we'll come over. I can assure you it's not ours because both of ours are sat in the cage quite happily. But we'll come over and have a look. And they got over there expecting a domestic cat or something there and the lady says look it's there and John just looked and there was this black leopard it looked up at him got off and just walked off into the back and into the wood and John ran after it and he got halfway into the wood and he said he suddenly realized nobody had followed him and he hadn't got a clue what sort of <laughs> history this animal had got because obviously it was wild, and got the better of it, and decided to come back out of the wood quite quick, while Robin was all laughing his head Yes,
2: off. yeah, yeah.
0: And, but he said, if anybody had said to me there was a black leopard two miles up the road from the zoo, you know, he said, now? He said, no. Robin saw a Puma on the A42 and he said coming up to just off the end of the M42 where it becomes the A42 Ashbury Parva, and he said it was sat on the side of the A42 dual carriageway sunning itself and all the traffic was slowing down to have a look and he said I just couldn't believe it he said there was a mountain line just just sitting there in the sun yeah
2: and these days of course passengers would have mobile phones cameras so you'd get, have a chance yeah
0: I mean this, yeah this was back in the late 90s and hopefully people will start to to come up with decent photos but we keep saying that the trouble is it does happen quick you know? yes and so that's where a dash cam is good because it's recording all the time yeah. and home securities and things like that so you know you might find somebody that's had a, an incident at night lights have gone on and they've gone through the footage and found and got yeah, it yeah i
2: mean some of these things we're talking about do exist but people don't release them of course and i've seen some and i've had people insist they've got it but don't share it
0: yeah yeah there was a, a case in the early 90s and it was British Rail. They got a really good cctv of this black leopard in the car park at ipswich station and for reasons better known to ourselves the police took the footage and destroyed mm. it. And it's all been admitted to. Yeah. John went down and investigated and that, and the Eastern Daily News, whatever, they got involved trying to find the details. And of course, this happened with the link in Norfolk. That got stuck in a freezer and forgotten all about, and then all of a sudden it popped up under the Freedom of Information and the story broke. Yes. But it took it, it took it from the 90s. It didn't break until well into, I think I was it 2006 or something That's, like yeah, that? Yeah, 2006, yeah. The gamekeeper um, who... The police knew about it, but it was all kept very quiet and hush-hush.
2: Yeah, yeah. And incidentally, Ipswich Centre still gets reports of big black panthers now. It's the River Corridor, I think, which takes animals n- nearby and they would sometimes sure. disperse you know, close to the town centre. And of course, the more you learn about these animals, the less it surprises you. But to people who know nothing about them, it is a surprise. I mean, I knew
0: nothing about it when I first started with my dad. And everything that we've discovered as we've gone along was a journey that, it all added up, you know, we had a, a, an incident with the pond of one of the, I shan't name him, but he was a famous rugby player and uh, England captain as well. And um, his pond got attacked while he was on holiday and the neighbour actually saw this big cat and he went round and the lining on the pond was shredded. It was almost like you could see the the width of the claws where it had damaged it, but we couldn't understand what he was doing. And then the neighbour said, well, I'm sure it was full of Foxborn and the Foxborn's all gone. So we rang Drake Manor and had a chat with them about it and straight away, yeah, they'll take frog spawn because it's very, very high protein. Yes,
2: yeah. So it's not koi carp fishing. No I mean there has been koi carp gone I mean the
0: trouble with koi carp is it's always difficult to know whether it's an otter yes
2: oh yeah but some I, it's been seen they've been seen doing it in Gloucestershire
0: what koi carp
2: yeah koi carp fishing yeah
0: yeah I mean we we had one and and the owner was absolutely adamant it was not possible to have been and I, and I agreed with him because it was a big carp and it had been carried across a river that in flood and eaten on the field on the other side.
2: But an otter can do that, you're right. That's. The, it
0: wasn't that's an the... area where otters were known to be, but there was definitely a big cat around there because it was being seen.
2: You had a, a key National Farmers Union rep reporter, mother and cub, didn't you?
0: He's on the edge of about five, six miles from where my dad lived, in the other part of High Leicestershire. And he was combining, just shutting down the combine late at night, waiting for his lift. And he heard a noise, swung the torch around. And the, the mother was jumping across the, the rows of corn from the combine and there was a cub underneath going underneath the straw following her going across it was quite incredible really and uh, subsequently since then there's been a few others sightings of it around that area and and another one a bit closer to us the farmers were used to live in south africa and were very used to black leopards they had it in their field twice on the same day each year when they were combining yeah exactly the same day and the The wife was out horse riding, and she's absolutely adamant that in this thicket, when they were riding by, it spooked the horses that it was a leopard. She said you could hear the the leopard cough, and she said, unmistakable sound of a leopard.
2: Mm, And the horses reacted. Oh,
0: yeah, the horses were spooked. Quite often, and we've had reports off horse riders, and the horses have seen it first or smelt it and got quite spooked by it, and the riders have then looked to try and see what's upsetting the horse, and then they can see it. But mm. the horses can see it long before the riders do. Yes. And I, I've been into areas where there's definitely been an animal there somewhere and I've not been able to see it. But the horses are absolutely going mad, charging up and down and stamping their feet, looking at a certain position. But it's a real, a really difficult job when you're looking at a thicket unless you've got thermal imaging trying to, to work out what's in there.
2: Yes, and it's very difficult. I mean, I have to visit stables sometimes and horse owners. And it's very difficult to give those people advice because you know they're aware that their horses are being totally freaked out. Yeah, and yeah. what do you do to, other than use flashing lights at night to scare off a local cat that won't budge or keeps coming and scaring the horses?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we had an attack on A horse in the Vale of Beaver, and it was a real nasty attack and wound. And we think that that was a puma. Talking to Robin, they're more inclined to think that it was a puma jumping onto it. But something had jumped onto this, and it was a stallion as well. And the owners were saying, you know, there's just nothing that could get in there because it's so protective powerful. But this animal was about well, i think it was 18 1819 hunter and something had got in and it had slashed the back of it right the way down from just above its tail down it almost looked like a knife but the wounds got infected straight away really badly and the vet said he'd never seen anything like it and if you looked at it it was again the spread of a man's fingers so if you got all your fingers apart it was that sort of spread of claw marks
2: Yeah we've had some vet vet verified ones in in and around Gloucestershire it's nasty and it's often assumed to be a young Tom Puma still learning the ropes and going for the wrong target and probably learning that you get a bumpy ride and it's not worth doing and go for for the deer next time. There
0: was a sighting of Puma kits and that was a police inspector was out on a day out with his family at Conkers which is the part of the National Forest the sort of park area and that one and landscapes and there's a huge lake there called albert lake and they were walking along the footpath along the side of the lake and all of a sudden in front of them in the side of the bushes and on the track in the dust were these puma kits and they were sitting there playing in the sun and they looked at him and he said their eyes were just huge so it was just incredible he said, they he knew there were babies he said but these things were massive anyway i showed him some pictures of puma kits which obviously at that age of A stripy.
2: Or spotty. Spotty.
0: Spotty, sorry. And so he was... (laughs) obviously quite perturbed and asked where the mother was and said you know the mother's in the bush at the side there somewhere or would have been <laughs> watching you yeah. and sort of what's happening about this you know and I said well nothing these are quite common now they're being seen all the time and I think he went away and I had a chat with Neil and then realised that all his colleagues were seeing them as well he, he said I have never even knew about this couldn't believe it yeah. it was like yeah.
2: yeah and you're damned if you do and damned if you don't sort of react aren't you that's the problem for uh, authorities.
0: The trouble is I think they realised that quite early on because As I say we did spend a lot of time with them and at the end of the day it's a massive operation just to catch one animal even if it's in an open area like Dartmoor or or Exmoor but when you've got the population like we have wandering around they can just disappear through a hedge and they're gone and there's no way of using any firearms or anything in those sort of areas you know it's impossible.
2: And you'd probably um, do more harm than good in in the commotion that would follow. To
0: be fair, we've always been told an injured animal is going to be far more dangerous and deadly than one that's hunting at the moment. Although I think in this country we're very lucky because there's adequate food stock, there's lots of roadkill, which... You don't tend to get so much in some of the countries that they're in. So there's a lot of roadkill, and they do take roadkill. There's been lots of sightings picking up, carrying off the road. And again, it's something that's well documented they'll do that. They do seem to get on okay. I still can't answer where they go to. I mean, we do know that, like most wildlife, they disappear. You don't very often see a dead fox in a field, unless you've been shot.
2: Yeah, but cats skulk away when they die. They don't keel over in the middle of a field. Their body would rot away when nature clears up very quickly. I ought to just get you to tell your missing body story, Nigel. That remains a classic. The conspiracy theory of the lorry driver. Can we hear that one?
0: Yeah, we had driver phoned us up. Uh, and he actually knew my dad and he'd gone up the A1 northbound and saw this big cat. Or he thought it was a big cat and he thought, I'll check it out. And he came back. As he came back, he drove slowly and he was there, still there. And he phoned us up. When he got back to the yard and we were over there within about an hour and a half and we searched about half a mile of the A1, never even found a badger, nothing there. And Neil even tried to get hold of the, well, he got hold of highways to find out if anybody from highways had picked it up, but nobody came forward. But then we had a situation with a retired police officer who was absolutely adamant, it was one one in the roadworks where a lorry had knocked the back end of it off, but it was lying in the roadwork uh, near Colville in West Leicestershire. He was a retired police officer and he said, absolutely certain this was a big cat. Mm. We couldn't get any information off highways. They wouldn't even tell us, if, no, got no record of even a dog being picked up off the road there yeah very bizarre very very odd
2: I had a similar one a retired senior police officer was in a traffic queue on the um, Oxford bypass and he said there was a dead mountain lion in the central reservation and he'd driven past it very slowly and he thought many many people must have seen it this was again before mobile phone cameras and he just felt it would be useful for big cat groups to know about in case they wanted to follow up and this was the day after the event I know Steve Archibald from Oxfordshire spent sort of the next afternoon wandering through along the central reservation which takes some doing but found out of course but the one that the lorry driver saw that you followed up you assumed that was uh, a full-on adult black leopard did you from his description
0: he said he was fairly certain when he went by that he was but when he came back he slowed right down to have a look and he said yeah definitely So it wasn't a dog it was it was a cat but there was nothing we searched the whole area where it was and i'm confirmed with him where it was the location so we knew we had the right location
2: Well, we're going over time, Nigel. It's terrific to hear all of these perspectives and reports. What do you think about Big Cat living in the British countryside? What's your personal view?
0: Well, my view is that they've been here for an awful long time. And we've had reports in our area going back to the 80s. And as you know, there's been reports from the 60s and that with the Surrey Puma. So they've been with us for a long time now. They don't seem to be causing problems. Most farmers that I know are quite happy because they go through flocks. Sometimes don't even touch the flock, just walk through. And we need something to keep the deer down because the deer population is just exploding at the moment. So anything that can control deer and rabbits and that, It's probably a good thing. So uh, uh, there's a lot more dangerous things out there than that. More people get trampled by livestock and killed in the UK each year than ever get killed by big cats in the whole world. People Mm. forget that. And that's quite legal, you know, livestock on footpaths.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately sometimes it's people who work on farms themselves get into trouble with their own livestock, yeah.
0: So you've got to get it into perspective. If you look how many mountain lion fatalities have been in America and then compare that to to that sort of thing, then it's minute really. Yeah, I think it scares people because they they don't tend to back away like people expect they would. But they're not putting themselves in danger. They've just got a bit more tolerance than, say, um, a deer or something that's going to be disappearing miles away. Yeah, sure. The thing to remember is 99% of the time you will only see a bit big cat if it's comfortable with you seeing it if it's not then you won't see it sure it's very rare you'll see one catch one out they'll they'll always be aware that you're there
2: splendid thank you so much for coming on Nigel it's been lovely to hear the history of the county's reports and we'll keep in touch and for now many thanks for coming on big cat conversations
0: thank you very much Rick
2: This episode's words of the week are the recorder effect. Now the recorder effect is a factor which relates to all aspects of biological recording and mapping and considering the distribution of a species, a plant or animal or reptile under consideration and that is the issue of is the recording and mapping and data collection relating to the actual physical presence of the creature under review or is it more to do with the fact that recorders are more active in certain geographical areas than others. So are you recording the nature of the beast itself or the actual activity of the person recording? That particularly relates to big cats in Britain. Clearly there are not going to be many big cats in Britain. We have to be careful also in the actual recording of the report. Some may be more credible, some less credible, but we also have to consider are certain areas seeming to be a black hole with no reports when there may be some big cats there, but there's nobody trusted or known or active to take reports to actually record for the cats to be known about. That relates to last episode's edition from Buckinghamshire and the Chilterns because Paolo is pretty well known in that area. He has a good network so is Buckinghamshire more active on big cats than neighbouring counties? Maybe not, it's simply a fact that Paolo is known and is getting records there. So there's our words of the week, the recorder effect. Well our next guest on the show is somebody who lives in Leicestershire and has actually had two encounters in her life and we're going to concentrate on the main one which was in 2017. Emma welcome to the show thank you very much for coming along. please tell us all about what happened in May 2017 when you're out walking with your was it with your mother-in-law?
1: It was mother-in-law and yeah, my dog do we decided to go a normal walk like we do. Literally, the houses behind us is just the national forest. So you just walk out our door, you go through one farmer's field, through the one-way marker, and then that's it. It's woods everywhere. Literally, we went up there and then we turned left, which is our normal route, because she's from Romania. So she's got very little English. But when we turned, I was actually walking and looking at the ground at the time. And then she pulled my arm back and then pointed and she said, animal. And I said, oh, it's just a dog. It's okay. Don't worry. It's not going to hurt you. Because they have a lot of dogs in Romania, which they're wild. And I don't think she was quite sure. So I just said, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Carry on walking. Well, this, well, we thought was a dog, It's just lying down back to us. You could see it's quite skinny, but it's longer than a Labrador. Its hips were, like, sticking out. It was just sitting there, and I was like, okay, that's weird. We started walking a bit closer to it, and it had some kind of fluffy animal in its mouth. I don't know whether it was a rabbit. I don't know whether it was a hare, because it was quite a big rabbit. Or was it a fox? She stopped, I stopped, this thing was ripping this thing apart, and we just took a step back, and she said, no, 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 she pulled me back, I says, okay, let's go, we turned round, it didn't have pointy ears, it was like rounded, I knew then it wasn't a dog. I was like, what is that? She said, I don't know. No, 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 Pulled me back, pulled my shoulder back. And then we walked very fast back out to tell the tale. But obviously no one believed us. Mm. And it's very difficult when people don't believe you because you give so much detail out. I saw spots, what people said that you can see. Those panthers I see in the zoo look a bit big. Mm. This is a bit smaller Bit bigger than a Labrador.
2: Okay. Did you see the tail well?
1: The tail was curled. It was like because the grass was quite long where it was lying, it was curled round its own body.
2: And can you describe the tail as much as you can, much as you saw it?
1: Very long. The tail looked longer than the body. The body was very sleek. The skin looked very smooth, not fluffy or anything like that. And the colour was what? It looked black because it was surrounded by woods, so it looked quite dark anyway, and it was getting late-ish. It was lying down in the long grass, munching, ripping something apart. Like I said, I don't know what type of animal it was eating. We didn't want to stop any longer, especially my mother-in-law. She was very scared. Was it aware of you? No, it wasn't. That's the thing. It didn't turn round at all. It was carrying on eating its meal. We just started going back slowly. I was looking at its ears because its ears were moving a bit in different directions at the side. So it's like, I'm not sure if it it did hear us, but it wasn't interested. It was more interested in whatever it caught.
2: How close were you when you retreated?
1: Quite a few metres away. We were walking on the path, which is very flat, but this thing would line in the long grass onto the right hand side. It was ripping the skin off this animal. So it was biting it and then ripping up, but still lying down, ripping it. And then it was going back in again.
2: Tell us about going
1: back there. It took me a while to go back there. I was pretty scared. Even when I told my husband, I says, you know, I I don't dare to go back there for a long while. It took me nearly six months to go back up there. Mm. But I only went back up there with somebody else. I would never go by myself. Yeah. I rang the police when I saw it and they told me they have lots of sightings all the time. Mm -hmm. Just don't go after dusk and don't walk in the morning. That is their response.
2: Yeah, and of course you were at du- dusk, weren't you? And that is a good yes, time. Yes, right? it was
1: yeah. du- getting dusk, so the sun was just about to go down, just before it was going down. You know, it was not dark, dark, mm. just enough light to see through the woods.
2: I remember you saying that because I asked you to photograph where it had been, and you said, "Well, I'm going to wait till I've got some friends to go with." But I know
1: but, that's it, which
2: is fine. I do accept that. I think
1: I did take some pictures.
2: Yeah, that what I remember about them was that it, you could see the depression in the grass, a sort of elongated long depression which would seem about right. narrow
1: Yeah, yeah yeah
2: incidentally did you hear any sounds when you were watching it
1: no I didn't that's the thing and it was like you know when you're going into a wood and you hear nothing no birds nothing that's how it was and I was just looking down at the ground at the time just walking Duke and the dog he actually was trying to pull me forward but I pulled him back his ears pricked up. He's a Labrador Cross collie, so his ears always look pricked up anyway. But he was like in a in a stare and he was pulling on his lead. And I thought, Oh dog, you know, pull him back as I do on the lead. But then this thing wasn't moving and I didn't see anyone around. So I thought, hmm, can't be a dog. Where's the owner? Hmm. Lying there, the colour of the animal it was ripping up was like a a grey, orangey colour. See, someone said it might have been a hare. We do quite get a lot of hares around here. Okay. Quite big rabbits.
2: Mm, Yeah, a hare would be a good-sized snack for something like a black leopard. Do you think your dog realised what was before it?
1: I think my dog thought it was another dog because he's a very boisterous dog anyway. So when he sees another dog, he will pull towards someone's dog. Just to play, and he started pulling, and I'm pulling him the other way, going, no, 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 that's not (laughs) right. It looked young. I'll say rangy. You couldn't see its ribs, but like on a normal domestic cat where their hips stick out anyway, it was a little bit like that.
2: How did you find the experience of being in the media? Do you regret that or did you find it a hassle or did you just feel it was a sort of public duty? You get
1: a lot of sceptics because now it just goes over my head. But at the time, you get a load of people all sceptic. But I thought, you know what? I know what I've seen. And if they think like that, wait till they come across something like that and then let them tell the tale <laughs> and they'll be in the same situation as me. That's the way I see it.
2: What what about friends and neighbours? How did they react?
1: I don't think they believed me. I really didn't.
2: But presumably you wanted to alert them to the fact that there was a bit of a risk around the corner in the local fields. Well,
1: yeah, because dog walkers go up there and then I put it on the local spotted media sites and then obviously you get all the trolls online Mm. laughing and joking about it. And then I I think it was like two weeks later, just after my in, another one came in, but it wasn't far
2: yeah. Do you find it reassuring that there's been others nearby?
1: Yes, it does. It makes me feel like I'm not alone. Mm. Um, but this thing is not all the time. This is the why the sceptics are out there. Yeah. They'll say, oh, well, if it was real, you'll see it all the time. Well, I want to know, even myself, where does it go? Where does it hide? But we do have a lot of disused railway lines around here. We have underground tunnels that you can walk through under the main roads. This thing can go woods to woods, private land where people can't go.
2: A lot of people don't sort of mention it, of course, anyway. So the majority of the reports will not be in the press anyway. In 1999, you were a lot younger then when you you had this other...
1: Yeah, I was 12 years old. I wasn't alone. I was with my two sisters. And we went for a late bike ride.
2: This is in a different part of Leicestershire, near Loughborough?
1: Yes, this is Loughborough. AstraZeneca is in Loughborough, and it's just on the outskirts. You've got the canal that goes round, and then you've got all the countryside again. But it's on on the outskirts of Loughborough, basically.
2: Mm. And so what happened?
1: We was actually on the road dodging frogs. It was Helen, my sister. She goes, Emma, what's that? For what's what? She says she saw it fully. All I saw was its long tail. The tail was so long. I'd say about four foot long, very thick. Again, it was at nighttime, black. This thing was just sitting under a street light in the industrial state, and it just quickly went when we went towards. We just threw our bikes onto the path, chose to run up to the embankment where it it was sitting, and we got the torches out. and We shone the torch in the field, we we're waiting, waiting for something to be seen because this thing shot like lightning, it was gone. Then it turned, all we saw was two eyes looking at us. I said, Helen goes, It's there, it's there. And then we shone the torch, and then it just went into the darkness, which goes straight to the lake. So that's my first encounter. I didn't believe it at the time.
2: The description that your sister gave, how does she describe it?
1: She said it had rounded ears and she said it was long and big. I just saw its tail go over very quickly. It was scared of us.
2: And what about the eye shine? What, how was that?
1: The eye shine, if I remember, it was more like a, a greeny, yellowy and it was like changing different colours. But in the distance, the eyes were quite far apart.
2: Pretty bright, were they?
1: Very bright, yeah we didn't have facebook
2: (laughs) stuff like that we
1: didn't even have the flash camera with us or anything no no one believed us mum and dad especially left it off no one believes us until it happens to them then they'll believe that's the way it come across
2: how do you feel personally about big cats being around in britain
1: I just think let them be because when I've done some research on it, apparently people used to have the as pets in the 1970s and because of the license that came out, a lot of people just let them roam. It makes you think, well, surely when I had that sighting in 1999, It would have been dead off by now, but it seems to be up and down the country, so there must be more than one. But as long as there's no risk to the public, they seem quite safe animals and they just want to be out of the way and carry on with their lives, just as a fox would or badger or whatever.
2: Yeah. Are you careful with your young children? Do you take them out for walks in the local countryside?
1: I do, but I have to be with people now. Since my sighting, and I know some things there, it has been a bigger group. can't just be on my own with the kids now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So how do you feel then? You you just feel more on edge and you need the company of other people in case anything happens?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like when I walk the dog, sometimes I'll hear like twigs snapping and then it's automatic Oh, something there. But then I see it's a blackbird. <laughs> yes and then carrying a twig out of the ground. I'm more paranoid of my environment, but I'm having other people saying, love nature, just get out there, enjoy it, don't worry about it. It's very easy for them to say that, but when you've seen something that you wouldn't expect out there, mm. you sort of step back from what other people are saying.
2: Do you go out less, do you think, overall because of that? I case? have
1: actually been out less, yeah. and I've been more on my computer. Yeah. More than been out, uh, which is quite sad because I love the outdoor nature. But I'm just always worried that there's something going to be there that's going to pounce on me. <laughs> yeah,
2: but of course your dog would alert you, presumably, if there was something there.
1: Yeah, he's a bit of a soft one, though. That's the thing. He's not a vicious dog. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, <Yeah. laughs> I don't think he'll protect me. I think he'll be more wagging his tail.
2: Yeah, being submissive and, and uh, hiding yeah. behind you. Yeah. I mean I had a lady and her husband report driving at 1am at night in Gloucestershire and they had to brake in the road as a deer ran across the path of the car and as they, br- as, as they came to a halt a panther was pursuing the deer, stopped and turned round, looked at the car through the windscreen and hissed and then carried on pursuing the deer. And that lady Oh God. Yeah, that, that and she said, thinking about it, the, the deer did appear when they first saw it to be running for its life. So that lady contacted me because she, a bit like you, was very, very wary about and on, on edge about going for walks in the countryside. That is a shame it has influenced you so much, but I think people could understand. But you still enjoy the countryside, enjoying nature with other people's country? I do, yeah. Yes. yeah. Which is, that's um, good.
1: I'm yeah. trying to attract more wildlife into my own garden so that I can still enjoy the birds and things like that. Okay. So.
2: And of course, the kids will benefit from that, won't they?
1: Yes. Going on, we go on the Wildlife Trust.
2: Oh, lovely. So... Yeah
1: we get a lot of things to make in the garden Mm. um we made beehive bug hive (laughs) bug
2: hotel things yeah
1: yeah that's it they pin it on the fence
2: excellent yeah
1: so yeah trying to trap wildlife in
2: yeah okay well i hope it does change through time yeah yeah but it's good that you still embrace nature as much as you can in ways that you can i think that's so important Well, Emma, that has been very valuable to hear about your close encounter. And I'm sure people can understand how you feel and the the wariness you now have about being in the outdoors. But thanks ever so much for taking us through those encounters.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Okay, that wraps up this episode of Big Cat Conversations. Thank you for listening, everyone. Next episode, we will be hearing from the producer of a forthcoming documentary called Britain's Big Cat Mystery. We're going to be hearing all about the production of that documentary and the issues which arose during its creation. We're also going to hear from Paul, who's based in Bristol. He had an intriguing encounter in Dorset a few years ago. He's now active in and around Bristol, Avon, North Somerset and South Gloucestershire. So we'll hear from Matt and Paul in the Southwest in episode 8. Thanks for listening and take care.